that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Whip. Is that really in the Bible? You know, it's been said that those who do not learn the lessons of history are bound to repeat them. Well, today I want to look at a lesson in history, the story of Noah. I just recently got back from Kentucky. Me and my wife went down to visit the Ark Encounter. Ken Ham built a $100 million ark, the length of a football field, three stories high. It was a fascinating experience. If you get a chance, by all means, go down there. It's about a six-hour drive and visit the Ark Encounter. It had a powerful impact on me. I'm a kinesthetic learner. And for those who don't know what that means, that means when people learn by carrying out uh, physical activity instead of, instead of just being lectured to. And so I'm sort of a hands-on type of, of person, and that's how I learn. You know, it's one thing to read about Noah and the ark. It's another thing to actually experience it and to walk into this huge, massive ship and, and they have all the sounds, you know, the animals playing and the, the rain on the roof, the thunder. I tell you, if they could have just made that floor move a little bit like it was swaying, that would have really been authentic, but they couldn't do that. But, but still, it, it's a great experience, a great experience, the Ark Encounter. And one of the things that touched me the most was that on this Ark, there is one door, only one door, big door. And the judgment of God had come upon man because of his sins and rebellion. And there were eight people who went through that door. And who were saved. And of course the animals also. But this one door they had to go through in order to be saved. And of course Jesus said in John 10 and verse 9. He said, I am the door. By me if any man enter in he shall be saved. Powerful concept. Powerful concept. Now Hebrews 11 and verse 7 says this. It says, by faith being Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You know, I have found that it's hard to live by faith. You know, Noah worked on this ark for over a hundred years, I believe. And he was about 500 years old when he started. And I think it was 600 or a little over 600 when he entered the, the ark. And of course, Genesis 6 and verse 3 tells us about God's judgment and the time period here. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. In other words, during this time period, the ark was built, and after 120 years, the jig was going to be up. And during that time period, you know, can you imagine, I said it was hard to live by faith, can you imagine the mockery? Here's, the, here's nutty Noah building a boat on dry ground, on a hillside, you know. There's no water. There's no rain. 
I mean, this went on every single day. That's what I mean. The living by faith, pursuing it and doing it every single day. You have to get up and do it all over again. That's what what I mean. It's hard to live by faith. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. No rain had started yet, and yet he kept doing the work. He kept doing the thing that God wanted him to do. Man. Powerful example of living by faith. In the face of opposition, he lived by faith. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting is is that Noah, more than likely, during this time of over 100 years of building the ark, that he probably subbed out some of that work. I don't think, I used to think he did it all himself, but I don't believe that anymore. I believe he probably subbed out. You know, I'm part owner, owner of a business and we sub out work all the time, but Men that were good at steel work, craftsmanship, men that were good at lifting timbers and, and fitting timbers together. He probably subbed out a lot of that labor. And it's interesting, I was going to say it's funny, but it's not really funny, but to imagine that some of those people that actually helped build that thing, when the rain started and they're floating on a log, you know, they could look and say, hey, I helped build that as the ark passed by. Yeah, sort of strange when you think about it. But again, those who do not learn the lessons of history are bound to repeat them. Now, what was so bad about the people back then? What was so bad about the people back then? Well, in Genesis 5 and verse 6 and verse 5, excuse me, Genesis 6 and verse 5, it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, in this Ark Encounter, there was an area you could walk through called the pre-flood world, and it was illustrated by pictures on the wall. It was disturbing, indeed. There was infant sacrifice. Now, you might say, well, we don't have that problem today, infant sacrifice. Well, no, we just abort 3,000 potential children of God daily, a day in America, 3,000 a day. And then there was pictures of drunken, you know, orgies, sexual immorality. And of course, I heard one time, I don't know if it's true, but, but that America was one of the biggest exporters of pornography. We're good at making porn. Um, I'm sure God will bless us for that. Oh, boy. Uh, and then there was crime, the illustration of crime, the pre-flood world, a lot of crime. And of course, if you look at today, the FBI crime clock of a rape occurring every two minutes or something like that, a murder every so many seconds. You know, I don't know how different we really are today. But the Bible warns us about the end time, the time that we live in now. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accuser, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, trady, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Notice that it says that these people, as rotten as they are, have a form of godliness. Well, what is that form? Of godliness. Well, it goes like this. It goes like, you know, we got to save the planet, global warming. You know, we got to save all the poor animals. 
You know, and, and there's all, you ever seen these commercials that play on people's emotions about these animals saving the animals? Now listen, I'm, I'm, I hate cruelty to anything, especially animals, you know. But, you know, it's just, it's somewhat hypocritical that these, these commercials go on and on and on for like two or three minutes about saving all the animals and everything like that. And yet, we have 3,000 potential children of God aborted every single day. That is so hypocritical. We are such hypocrites as a nation. But yeah, they have their form of godliness. Tree huggers, you know, whatever, got to save the planet. Now, are we any different? Are we any different? You know, human nature doesn't change. Now, consider what this verse tells us. 2 Peter 2 and verse 5 says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, Noah preached over a hundred years. He was referred to as a preacher of righteousness. How did he preach? I mean, well, he preached by building an ark. I mean, did he put a podium on the front of the ark and get up there every day? No, he preached by building the ark. It was a powerful witness to the world, to this sin-sick society. He told this sin-sick society that God is going to destroy the world with a flood, and you have to repent of your sins if you want to be saved. Noah preached over a hundred years and had seven converts, total of eight, including, including himself, in the boat, he had seven converts. You know, and I think about it, I don't feel so bad now because it seems that what I do doesn't get much results at all. So I don't feel so bad now because he preached 100 years and had seven converts. And what I'm always amazed at is the absolute lack of response to the truth. Now, I didn't say lack of response toward religion. Pe you know, religion, people can't get enough of that stuff, you know. Oh, the Lord is working mightily here today. Well, the Lord healed Bertha Butt's big toe. Praise Jesus. And we had 100 people come down to the altar and give their heart to the Lord. Praise Jesus. People can't get enough of religion. But response to the truth, yeah, you don't get much response. A lack of response to the truth of God. God expects you to obey Him. God expects you to love Him. And this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And unless you repent and turn from your sins, you're going to die. Yeah, very little response to the truth. Now, Noah preached the truth and he had seven converts. Human nature doesn't change. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, how many people, do you suppose, wanted saving, wanted to be saved once the flood began? You know, they heard Noah they saw the ark being built for over a hundred years. I'm sure Noah told them, look, the reason this flood is coming is because of sinning mankind. You need to repent. But how many of them wanted saving once the flood began? They didn't want a relationship with God, but they wanted saving. Does that ring a bell? Does that ring? How many people want saving when they realize they're going to die? Deathbed repentance. Human nature doesn't change, doesn't change a bit. Now, if I had a camera here, we could, you know, cameras are an amazing thing, but you can take a snapshot frozen in time of history. And we take a snapshot back then in the days of Noah, 
And we see that man was evil, he was wicked, he was sinful. And that image is frozen in time. But you know, usually, if you take a snapshot of a person, and then you take another snapshot 20 years from, from now, the person changes a lot. You know, they're visual. You know, they change. If you take a snapshot of landscape, and then come back 30 years later and take another snapshot of the exact location, sometimes you can't even tell because the landscape has changed so drastically. Well, we had this snapshot of the days of Noah, and then we're going to take another snapshot right before Christ returns. 6,000 years later, we're going to take another snapshot, and here's what we have. Matthew 24 and verse 36. But as in the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, they were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, to me, this is disturbing because nothing seems to change about mankind or human nature. It's still a wicked, evil, corrupted society. We take this snapshot way back then and then we take it toward right at the end time when Christ returns 6,000 years later and nothing has changed. Nothing. Human nature doesn't change. Man's response toward God doesn't change. Man's response toward a minister telling you the truth doesn't change anything. Again, for as in the days of that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, I'm not saying that none of these, that any of these things are wrong. Marrying and drinking, or nothing like, well, the abuse of alcohol is wrong, but, but the alcohol itself, drinking a little alcohol in moderation is not wrong, but none of these things are wrong here. It's just what the Bible is saying, they lived their lives totally oblivious to what was really important. And that is a relationship with God, a life of surrender to God. Human nature and the way of man is destined to fail again. God has allotted mankind 6,000 years. He's basically giving mankind enough rope to hang himself. 6,000 years to prove that man's void of unconditional surrender, void of the Spirit of God in dwelling inside, his life will not work. We've been given 6,000 years to prove that. Now, there is some good news for mankind. Because if you look at this picture, days of Noah, return of Christ, nothing has changed about human nature. They're wicked and sinful still. But there is some good news. The good news is this, John 12 and verse 47. If any man hear my words, and believes not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus said, look, my man rejects me, or a man claims to be an atheist, an agnostic, or, or whatever. I'm not judging him. I'm not judging anyone right now. But I did come to save the world, and that almost sounds like a contradiction. Now, the reason it sounds like a contradiction is this. Let me explain it. You cannot have true salvation until you enter into judgment with God. You have to be judged. You have to enter into 
being judged by God's standard of morality, the Ten Commandments. Unless you come to that point, you can't be saved. So in order to have true salvation, you have to enter into judgment with God. So here, here Jesus is saying, well, I didn't, I didn't even come to judge the world, but I did come to save it. Sounds like a contradiction, but listen closely. God saving the world does not depend on human nature, response. It doesn't depend on man's response toward God or a man's response toward a minister or a message. It depends on, God saving the world depends on God's timing for which he wants to save that person. And right now, God is only calling a first fruit. Now, the first fruits have entered into judgment with God. The ones that God is calling have entered into judgment. The rest of the people are not being judged right now. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world right now. Listen, if Jesus can't, was judging the world right now, we'd all be dead. We'd all be dead men, okay? Doesn't take a lot to figure that one out. Notice 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them, uh, of them that obey not the gospel of God? So what I'm saying is, yeah, if God has called you, you are being judged right now by God's standard of morality, the Ten Commandments. Now, what does it take to enter into judgment with God? Well, number one, it takes a calling from God. Two, you have to be one of the first fruits. God calls you, you become one of the first fruits that God is now calling. It takes the awareness that you are being judged right now. You know, most Christians don't even believe they're being judged by anything. They believe the law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross. They're not being judged by God's standard of morality. Most Christians don't even believe that. It takes a conviction of sin to enter into judgment with God. A conviction of sin, fourth commandment included. It takes knowing God's standard of morality because that's what you're being judged by. And it takes the awareness of grace that there is no condemnation to, to them whom God has called at this time. There is no condemnation. You see, when Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world but to save it, the saving of the world, the saving of humanity is a future event. After Christ returns to set up his kingdom on this earth, and especially during the second resurrection, when the rest of the dead will be raised. I didn't come, Jesus could have just as easily said, I didn't come to save everyone right now. I just came to make the way possible for mankind to be saved. Now, how did Christ 2,000 years ago make the way possible? Well, by dying for our sins. That's how he made the way. He paved the road for humanity to be saved. Okay. I mean, think about it. How many altar calls did Jesus ever have? Well, oh, just come down and give your heart to the Lord. Well, the Lord is working mightily here today. Why, why just the other day we had Bertha Butt's big toe healed. Praise Jesus. And we had 100 people come down to the altar. And the Lord is working mightily here. How many altar calls did Jesus ever have? None. None. And he says, I didn't come to judge the world right now. This is a powerful verse right here. This is good news. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Before you can be saved, you have to come 
to the knowledge of the truth. And this is a process. Coming to the knowledge of the truth is a process. You will come, if God has called you, you will come to the knowledge of, of the truth. And you will find that it's quite contrary to what is all around you in mainstream churchianity. But anyway, the process of God saving all people involves the return of Christ, the second resurrection, a time that the Bible refers to as the rest of the dead. Now, consider this. Consider this. The judgment of the flood was a physical judgment. It was not eternal. You ever ask the question, well, what will happen to all those people that were wiped out in the flood? It was a physical judgment. God got fed up with sinning mankind, and he said, I'm going to flood the whole earth. He also said he wouldn't do that again, by the way. Flood it with water again. That's the reason you got the rainbow. Okay. God knew that he would resurrect all of those people who were wiped out in the flood, and they would live again and be given their first chance for salvation when the rest of the dead are raised. God knew that. They would have their chance later. You know, religious people don't seem to understand the concept of judgment. It's like they are extremely ignorant when it comes to the concept of judgment. When, when religious people think of judgment, they think of a guy standing on a trap door, hell below him, Smoke oozing up the cracks of the trap door. God, the Father, sitting there reading the, reading the Bible, a judgment book. He did this, he did that, he did that, oh, he did that, 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 that. And then, boom, pull the lever and shoot, straight down to the pit of hell. No, that, this, the, the concept of judgment is a process. It takes a process of time in which you judge the individual. Okay? Most people, when they read judgment, they're reading condemnation. You know, they're reading immediate condemnation. No, there's a difference between the two words of judgment. It's sort of like judging a boxing match. When do you judge a boxing match? Well, you judge it during round one, round two, round three, round four. It's a process, okay? So God is saying that these people are going to enter into a process of where I'm going to judge them. All right? Let's take a look at it. Matthew Something you probably never thought about. Matthew 11 and verse 24. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, Jesus is speaking to the self-righteous Pharisees of his day that didn't need grace or forgiveness. And he's saying, look, I, I preached this message to you, but it's going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, something similar happened to them that happened in the flood. You had a bunch of people wiped out. Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped out by a nuclear blast. They were wiped out by fire, or like a nuclear blast, I should say. But they were wiped out by fire. All of them killed. And Jesus said, look, it's going to be more tolerable for those people in the day of judgment to respond to the truth to respond to their opportunity for salvation. Now this judgment period of time will last 100 years, according to Isaiah 65 and verse 20. It's a judgment period of time that these people are going to be given in the future. Yes, in the future. Now I have good news and bad news. 
The bad news is this. We will self-destruct again, just like in the days of Noah. We're going to get that wicked, that evil, that rotten, that sinful. The good news is God is going to keep his promise. He is going to save the world. Again, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All those who don't come to the knowledge of the truth at this time, God says, I'm not judging him. I'm not judging him now if they don't come to the knowledge of the truth right now. I'm going to save him when the time is right. And for many people, yeah, today is not that day. Today is not that day. But they will get their time in the sun. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in the Bible. Why have countless millions died without ever having had an opportunity to understand the purpose of life and to be saved? Shocking as it may sound, God does not intend for everyone to understand His truth at this time. If He wanted everyone to understand at this time, everyone would understand. Untold millions have died without ever having had an opportunity for salvation. God's seventh and final holy day reveals when and how they will have their day of salvation. Order your free magazine entitled, The Last Great Day. Order by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.